In the 21st century, the world searches for answers to the questions that really affect our lives. Does anyone know an anagram for gonad dream? To debate the topics that really matter. Star Trek is in a good place right now. Yeah, I can't agree with you on that one. And be brave enough to state the truth. Movies just don't end that way. Three men dare to face what others fear. James. Oh yeah, I, di- I didn't need that image. Jesse. Uh, I was thinking God or dog. Joe Ash. I want Stan Lee to be the one to wield the Infinity Gauntlet and destroy Thanos. If you hunger for knowledge, if you thirst for wisdom, if you're looking for a podcast that will make all your wildest dreams come true, you've come to the wrong place. You're listening to the Anti-Matter Hour. Western theme of this uh, the show. Ludwig Göransson is so good in, in the soundtrack of the show. So good. If nothing else, for the fact that it is the first time I can remember a Star Wars property not having, not feeling like it has to ride the coattails of John Williams. Well, everything about the Mandalorian is yes, this is Star Wars, and yes, you know we're gonna you know, follow what was built with other Star Wars things, but we're not gonna be beholden to uh, you know any particular. You know, this is this is the way to do Star Wars. You know, th- we're gonna do it like I don't know. No, I'm trying to say <laughs> it, it 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 takes the it takes the best thing of Star Wars, but it also allows itself to explore its own universe within that. Well, it's sort of what I was talking about in part one of, of our Star Wars spectacular here. Yes. Where uh, I feel like there's tons of room for any director to take on a Star Wars movie or show and have a lot of flexibility while still being constrained by the nature of Star Wars. And I think The Mandalorian is just a really good example of that. It's quintessential Star Wars, but it discards or just flat out just ignores some of the things that have been considered staples of Star Wars. And yet it's still obviously star wars it's yeah um it's it's more um it's more western than space western in in a sense yeah i agree with that and and i think that um it's interesting because in contrasting to what our last discussion was in part one this show definitely takes its time it does not rush in in certain moments it doesn't it 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 doesn't like i think the first two or three episodes there's very minimal dialogue especially from the mandalorian himself and there's a lot of moments where you've got you know 10 or 15 seconds of silence where it just pauses and kind of lets you envelop yourself in whatever scene is taking place well before we get any further let's do the the thing that we were supposed to do obligatory yeah spoiler warning um we said this in part one but we'll say it again we're gonna we're gonna pick apart the mandalorian so watch it watch it right now 
parts of the whole season, but uh, you know, especially probably the more recent developments. Seven and eight, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is where most of the <coughs> plot develops, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like seven and eight is where it was like, oh, okay, this is where the show is going. This is what the show is, where it's going, that sort of thing. I feel like the entire series, all eight episodes, is sort of. I mean, it's a good, it's a good season. It's a good show in its own right, but I feel like it has a, just a bit of sort of a prototype, sort of a, you know, let's let's do this as a proof of concept for something else. Because, like, I mean, it doesn't really cover a lot of story building. True. Uh, no, it it lays right. a lot of foundation, but it, and there isn't a whole lot of plot, not really, not compared to other shows out there. There's enough, I think. I'm not criticizing it for that. I'm right, just saying there isn't much of it, but uh, it's really at the end where it's sort of like, really sort of piles on the potential for a, a greater story. Yeah, the, the whole middle of the season, pretty much like episodes three through six, were basically o- only like two functions, were to introduce us to a couple of characters that we need, like uh, a little more uh, a little more grief carga uh, sort of uh, development, uh, introduce you to Cara Dune, uh, and uh and then the other part is to uh essentially point out how lousy of a guardian uh mando is mando is <laughs> uh, that's that's basically the middle of the season uh i mean uh yes he uh keeps baby yoda alive but uh he exposes him to multiple traumas and uh you know, nearly has him killed uh, on multiple occasions, I, pu- and, and puts him essentially puts him into directly into harm's way. Yeah, I seriously think though that certain characters like um, Bill Burr and Clancy Davis, and I can't remember what the what the lady's name was, but she had a role in Game of Thrones. Right, she was the uh, she was Asha, the uh, the wildling yeah, lady from that, Game that, of Thrones that took care of Bronn for right. a while. Um, I think those three are going to be seen in season two. Um, I think they're they're going to be kind of a uh, kind of a foil to you know if you need a f- if you need a foil in an episode to whatever oh, the Mando's think, you doing. Think, you think they'll be sore? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, and then I think also I think Fennec uh, is is not dead. I don't think she's dead. Uh, that's um. Uh, oh. Oh, was that Ming Na Wen? Yes, exactly. Wait, which? Oh, 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 fa- right. The and they went to uh, Tatooine. Tatooine one. Yeah, yeah. I th- I don't think she's dead. Well, if that's the case, then I hope that they bring back. Uh, I forget the lady's name, but the character uh, that that was the played the little nanny lady for uh, that was repairing his spaceship uh, uh, in that episode. I could do without her. I mean, if she's there, that's fine. Uh, I thought I she was just uh, that was my she was my favorite part of that episode. I think. <laughs> Well, she was a better character than that uh, newbie bounty hunter that you know, turned out to have a short-lived career. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I, I get your point in the sense that you had you had the first two episodes, which established who Mando was, what what the man kind of a, a semblance of what the Mandalorians were, and and who Baby Yoda is or the child, and then you had a lot of episodes which more or less kind of built out the the rogues gallery to a certain extent let's not forget the uh the space battle that really didn't amount to much but it did damage the uh 
the ship whose name? Uh, oh, the um. What what's the Mando ship name? It's the Falcon Silver Crest or something Crest Razor Crest Razor, Razor Crest. Crest. That's yeah, it. Oh, it was the only space battle in the thing, but it was still pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I you know I, I just oh. anyway so getting into uh, episode seven, which is titled uh, the Sin. No, that's not the sin. Isn't the redemption or the that redemption was, that is chapter eight? Redemption is chapter eight. What is chapter seven? It, it wasn't the sin. Hang on, I got no. It. Hang on. I think the sin was chapter three, where he it's goes the reckoning. The reckoning. Okay, so you have the Mandalorian traveling in space, get, receiving a message from Grief Karga, essentially saying, "Hey, look, um, things are really bad here." The the Repub- the the, uh, the Imperials have increased their stronghold on the city, and we at the Bounty Guild don't like them. So what we're thinking is, bring the child back. We'll bring it in as bait. You kill the client. The rest of the troops will scatter. There's not many of them here, but there's enough that we don't like them. And then we'll let you back in the guild and everything's square and it's okay, yay? And it's obviously a setup for a trap. And I think the Mandalorian recognizes it as such. Well, the Mandalorian, while making some questionable decisions, isn't an idiot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he surely knew it was a trap and it was confirmed to be a trap later on. But, um, But I think he recognizes it as... Look, is only option. They're gonna they're gonna keep hunting me regardless of what happens. So this is the only option I have to actually end what's going on here. Yeah, so so to this point, the other than any minor nitpicks, the, the entire season arc sort of you know, you can have your quibbles with pacing or whatever, but but it makes sense uh so far, which is good. Right. Yeah, it's not a it's not necessarily an, an idea that's forced into this specific episode that doesn't make sense. The rest of the season is kind of built up to the fact that he's going to be hunted regardless of where he goes, what he does, <clears throat> as long as it's out of it, it's out of the Imperial's possession. So he, he kind of has to follow along with this, even though he doesn't trust it. And I like the fact that the first thing that he does is he goes and he seeks, he's, he's not just going to be like, okay, right. I trust he you. That sort help. of thing. Yeah. He goes for help and he goes to, uh, I think the obvious sorts, which is uh, the character of Cara Dune. For, yeah, the former shock trooper. Yes. The, the enforcer. But he also goes to uh, Tatooine and, and gets uh, it talks to ta- Quill. It's not Tatooine. It isn't? No, no it's wherever it's the baby Tatooine. was hiding at originally. Yeah, that planet. I can't it's remember not Tatooine. what planet it's, it's it is. It's some hidden but valley planet. But it's, hmm. um, How many it desert planets does Star Wars it, have? Oh, lots. Uh so uh, lots of them are sand too. Yeah. So uh, do we want to um, continue sort of just pushing through the plot, or do we want to like sort of expand into any qu- sort of discussions of, of different uh, parts of? Because uh, I have I have questions. So. No, go ahead. <laughs> I think I think I think I'm I wondering because this series takes place. Uh, I think we referenced before. This takes place after uh, the. Um, Battle of Endor. Yeah, five years, I think, is what they say. So, um, one of the things I'm wondering is why does the Empire have so much clout uh, still if the essentially 
supposedly and it doesn't have to be answered it's just something to think about like because this is an ex-imperial they just they call them ex-imperials or imps and they're still using imperial equipment imperial like you know uh um stormtrooper kind of uh, motif uh uh he was he was flying in a what do you call it a uh uh t- not a tie fighter uh no it was a tie fighter yeah. yeah um so i'm wondering what's going on uh i guess that's sort of the same thing we had about uh you know the the the, the trilogy after the not to get back to the movies but you know the it, every time the empire's defeated they're not really defeated. <laughs> well, that, to me, that makes a lot of sense because in the movie episode you know, six, Return of the Jedi, the second Death Star is destroyed. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that all the fleet of the uh, Empire is destroyed. There's got to be tens of thousands of ships still out there and a bunch of commanders and generals and whatever that are going to just do their own thing. Yeah. And, and I think that's what we have here. What's I don't know what his position was, but Gideon. Moff. Moff, which is not a general. It it's, it's higher a, than a higher general. general. It's they're uh, apparently they're like regional governors, of sort of, but not but, but within the military structure. Right. So we have somebody w- uh, who had a lot of power, presumably in the days before the Death Star, second Death Star exploded, and then once that Death Star exploded, presumably he wasn't anywhere nearby. Well, he's still going to have a lot of influence. Yeah. So probably Moff's influence probably uh, probably increased actually because there's less probably less structural oversight to their i mean presumably what we didn't see in the movies was after the second death star was destroyed the rebellion continued you know picking off the cells of the empire still left but i mean that's a huge task and they're not going to get them all so yeah there's a there's a uh oh yeah there is canon uh, there's a trilogy of books called aftermath that deal with a lot of how what happened with that and Right, and actually, I guess I, I guess I sort of should have thought about this and answered my own question because apparently, it, somewhere in canon, it is held that I don't remember how many years later, but the final, supposedly the final remnants of the empire were mopped up, which we we know is baloney, sort of, because they they continue on in the trilogy, but apparently the Battle of Jakku was when the empire sort of fell apart the most, like when that. Yeah. Star Destroyer landed that Ray's sort of scavenging. So Jakku actually happens in the third book of that trilogy that I was talking oh, about. Oh, good. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, for, for, for those that are, for those that like to be involved in all aspects of Star Wars lore, though that's the first trilogy of books that happens after Return of the Jedi, which kind of sets the canon in motion. So if you're wondering questions like where did all these star destroyers come from why are they out in the outer reaches of the galaxy all those different things that books that trilogy of books helps to answer some of those questions and that's still canon in the disney universe yeah because these are books that were written these were the first books written after the Ah, purchase okay so So, yeah so i guess uh, i I guess i wasn't really seeking like a detailed explanation i just sort of i was just sort of trying to wrap my mind around like Hmm. Well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a... What are these Imperials doing, you know? Sure. I think it's a, so, you know... Apparently they still have their revenue streams and they still have their, you know... I think that Command structure. Questions that are asked by, quote unquote, an average fan, if you will, someone who does not gross themselves in the, in the minutia 
of Star Wars lore, I think those questions are perfectly valid. I don't think that just saying, well, there's answers to that as long as you read these 12 books yeah. <laughs> is is necessarily a reason for you to not ask those questions. Yeah, I consider myself to be an average fan. I see the movies. I've seen, mm, let's say, 50% of the animated stuff that they put out recently. Sure. Ooh, I haven't seen anywhere close to that. Uh, I must be slacking. <laughs> Well, I haven't seen like there's like the Clone Wars animated series. There's I the Clone Wars. There's Rebels, and there's the Resistance. I haven't, I haven't seen any of the Resistance. I think I've seen a few episodes. Of, anyway, the point is, I, th I consider myself to be an average fan. I've I haven't really read any of the books, um, and I don't like to be concerned with all the minutia per se. But I mean, sometimes I get questions and like I, w I want answers. So yeah. So not uh, this one's probably a little more focused on uh, the Mandalorian itself, but um, I got to thinking after uh, watching Episode 7, it, when I was watching it in real time and I saw the, I don't know what you call it, like a hologram or something of Grief Cargo yes. uh, yeah. pop up, and I was like, oh, don't listen to him, you know, like uh, this is bad news or, or whatever. And it seems like that turned out to be the case, but, but then I started to wonder uh, to myself, and I think I have an answer for myself, but I was wondering what you guys think. Is is Grief Karga a bad guy or not? Because, I mean... He's, um, I think, what Dungeons & Dragons would call like more of a... Oh, how, where does he fit in that grid? Chaotic? I would say he's chaotic good. Chaotic good. Because he has uh, well, sort of a self-contained uh, sort of moral or code. Even, or even maybe chaotic neutral. The thing is, uh, that hologram message... He was setting up the Mandalorian. Right. Yes. It was a trap up until the point where uh, Baby Yoda healed him. Yes. They saved his life, basically. Yeah. So he was planning to betray him. Right. But even even so, would he have been justified in doing so from his own, at least from his own world? Well, that's the code view. he follows. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 lean, I lean towards him being chaotic good, being the sense that deep down, he's a person that believes in a code. And he believes that there's good and there's bad, and he tends to lean toward good, but he does not necessarily think that you have to you have to abide by the law to achieve what's good. Well, he's the counterpart. He's the equivalent of the Mandalorian. Mandalorian follows the code, the, the creed of the Mandalorians. Yeah, and the man and 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 the Mandalorian will break any other established quote unquote law. Right. In order to follow that creed or code. And Grief Karga is simply following the code of the uh, Smuggler's Guild or? Uh, bounties. Bounty, Bounty, Bounty Hunters, Hunters Guild, right. Guild yeah. And, and he was referred to in this episode as, uh, I mean, he was, at least he was overseeing the Bounty Hunters. I don't know if that makes him part of the Guild or not. Maybe it does. But at Re some point. about Grief? Yeah. Yeah. At some point, the Moff Gideon referred to him as something else is like a governor a dis or a disgraced a magistrate right is what he so says. does that mean that he does that mean that the bounty hunters if that's what he is are in charge of territorial like or is it or I is he just like a local sort of guy who like a politician essentially? i would I, w I think he was a politician of that planet i think he was the magistrate and of that particular planet navarro i think yeah, yeah and the moment that and something happened where he was corrupt or something along those lines and so he established himself as the leader of the guild of oh, that uh, okay. of the bounty hunter i wasn't sure maybe planet. if maybe if just sort of managing bounty hunters is just one duty of the magistrate or something like it's that. it's possible <laughs> i don't know but 
nonetheless, he was a politician. Yeah. Yeah. Collect collect taxes, yeah, run manage the water bureau and yeah. and the bounty hunters. <laughs> well, I think at one point in his past he was a magistrate and he was maybe doing some bounty hunting shady stuff on hunt, the side. Shady deals on the and side. And he had to make a choice between being a magistrate or doing, or doing the bounty hunter stuff, and he chose the bounty hunter stuff. Uh, like I said, I think that he he believed in doing good, but he didn't believe in necessarily following all the imperial regulations sure. with which to achieve that. And so he did some things that were against imperial regulations and was... I remember an episode, I think it was the first chapter. Uh, I remember the chapters, not episodes, but the first chapter, he wanted to pay the Mando in imperial credits. Yeah. But uh, the Mando wouldn't have that, and so he paid him in. Uh, 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 oh, Flan. Cal- yeah, Flan. The yeah. Calam- C- Calamari Flan. Calamari Flan, <laughs> which had a nice squishy, ty- which had a nice squishy <laughs> sound to them. But I think it's interesting to note that in that first episode, he spoke Hatese. So I wonder if oh. I wonder oh. if the reason he was disgraced was because he dealt with the huts. Well, the thing is, this is a, cr- a crime bait. This is like a crime, crime thing, and I, I bet you. I bet you that basically it all goes to the huts at some point. And then their their little offshoot thing. I would be shocked if the huts didn't make an appearance in in season 2 in some fashion. Interesting. Oh, I'd love yeah. to see another hut. Um yeah. We haven't seen too many of that. Learning kind of getting more canon and and more uh um sort of background uh, world building around the hut. I would assume that if anyone knows who who the people are of the child yeah. Or where the Jedi are, it would be the Huts because they've got connections across the galaxy. That's kind of what they're known for. And, so. and uh, I mean, yeah, the smugglers and they seem to be pretty good about, in general, pretty good about paying paying debts and keeping secrets. And yep. So talking about uh, season two or potential season two. So I know there's a lot more to t- talk about, but uh, ideas for season two. So we know that the Mandalorian has been tasked with getting the child. To either his home world with his people, or to the Jedi, or or something like that. Yeah, um, his, his people. Yeah, is, I mean, we can sort of debate what that means, but yeah. But based on uh, other things, I mean, uh, the, the he's. I think the Mandalorian will be conflicted by getting involved with Mandalorian affairs because we. <laughs> I mean, should we just talk about the? Yeah, Andrews? he he does seem to be easily distractible. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, he needs a constant flow of, of uh money so uh no that, no no that's that's bounty hunter affairs i'm talking about mandalorian affairs because um true the very end of chapter eight uh, it took me by surprise uh, should, we, should we skip to that or do we want to talk about other things first well, i i think we should try to stick to some sort of chronological order mm, yeah that's fine maybe uh, that's fine. Uh, oh well, uh, well it, that being the case uh sorry stutter no it's okay. uh, <laughs> uh that being the case, Jamie, uh, you mentioned uh, one of the thing. Actually, it was something you put on Twitter also uh, about the uh, dialogue between the stormtroopers. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, the scout troopers. Uh, to me, that's an example of what makes the Mandalorian as a show so great. Is that it takes the time to do world building. Not just that, but can we just say that Taika Waititi is showing himself to be quite the craftsman it was funny <laughs> i mean his his because he's the he's the director of that last episode right and between that and thor ragnarok i really want to watch jojo rabbit now just because uh he's kind of the 
director and creative mind behind it. He plays Hitler in the movie for crying out loud. Anyway, um, it was yeah. really funny. <laughs> it was that was hilarious. I I actually wanted to uh, jump through the screen and strangle uh, just Jason Sudeikis. Was uh, who it was? That's who it was. Oh, the one with the the satchel. Yes. Oh yeah, because when he when he hit the when swatted it, I just wanted it. to. Uh, I was gonna snap was gonna his s- neck like a twig. I was gonna say based on based on your comments earlier about how you were willing to travel <laughs> to Disney headquarters without a clean change oh, of to underwear Bob, to Bob Iger's house. Yeah, that uh, that you were probably you know. I'll show up on his front lawn like cousin Eddie uh, <laughs> in Christmas Vacation. Yeah, the fact that Jesse hasn't been arrested is a good sign that the series en- the season ended on a, a good note. And that everything's fine with right. this at this point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was funny. I, I I don't know if they embellished a little bit or not. Maybe they maybe they didn't embellish, but maybe they were a little bit uh, gratuitous in their uh, uh, s- stormtroopers have bad aim joke. <laughs> Uh, I, I love how the one guy uh, <laughs> he shakes his gun. I know he, he shakes his gun. And and he shakes hear, it. Hear it, it rattle. Sound. Yeah, I hear it rattle. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Maybe their equipment's just bad. Maybe like the barrel is like loose and it doesn't shoot straight. Could be. Uh, just need to just need to screw it tighter a little bit. Well, that's again world building. I mean, are they bad shots because they're incompetent and they're just the best they could, the best the empire at that point could get? Or do they are they just the Empire can't afford good blashes anymore? So yeah, just checking in on that uh, on that uh, confirmation. Situation. Well, yeah. Gideon just, just uh, killed, killed one of his officers for interrupting him, so it may take a while. Which that one, I mean, that was funny also, but it also didn't jive with what we saw from him on the screen either. Uh, I mean, it was kind of that was kind of a weird uh, throw in. Like it was just there for I think it was just there for comic relief, but but. Uh, that that's what Star Wars is partly about is is the uh, the comedy elements. Yeah, you got to have fact, some of those. And the fact that the fact that the Im- the Im- the Empire kind of eats itself alive to a certain extent. Like stormtroopers are just seen as these completely expendable resources. Well, just look back to the original Star Wars trilogy movies where Darth Vader was killing generals Officers? <laughs> just killing people left and right like, oh you screwed up once well you're dead yeah so now now you're the now general. you take now you take his place yeah so um for a brief moment at the enter at the beginning of this episode um i wondered well it, i think i was pretty it's just a fleeting thought but for a brief moment i hadn't really done the math in my head and i was wondering if uh maybe this episode was going to go a different direction and the series would go a different sort of way. And it, it, the title of the series being The Mandalorian was going to refer to uh, Baby Yoda as like a man, the being Mandalorian. Being a Mandalorian, or, yeah. yeah. Which actually, I mean, without going skipping ahead, it, it turns out that sort of could eventually be the case. But they consider him a foundling. Right. Um, but uh, because, of, because of that, uh, and he's Baby Yoda, he's uh, 50 years old. And what would you say he in the show like according to like close to human years? Uh, he's developmentally like. Would you say he's like like two, one? two years old? Yeah, or? I'd say two, maybe three. Because he's, he's vocal. A to- he's, he's a toddler. He's, he's vocal. Maybe he just doesn't know our the the language because he does babble and make sounds. He has some basic understandings of uh, good and who's of, good of who's good, who's bad. Uh, you know what's a bad situation? What's a good situation? So, so somewhere between one and two, no no older than two. 
Yeah, I would say so. So here's this is tangential, but uh, I found online uh, someone who's calculated out that uh, Master Yoda, uh, being almost 900 years old, developmentally could have been only around the age of 27 to 30. I, assuming there that uh, 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 development is linear and like sort of in human terms. Interesting. Because he'd be 18 times older than baby Yoda, 900 years. But he'd still have 900 years of experience, wh- True. whatever his development True, and it seemed like, And it seemed like he died of old age. Right. But, but, but I mean, like, as far as, like, uh, um, so, like, a, a Yoda species, a baby Yoda species, when it's 100 years old, would be developmentally more like a, a toddler, a preschool-age toddler. Interesting. Um, and when it's... For two hundred years old, it would be like a, you know, a, a tween or whatever. Right, like, right. How fast do they mature? Like it would or, be or, like it would be like teenage group. Or do they reach maturity at a hundred years old, and it only takes a hundred years? You know. Well, to I reach wonder. Maturity. I wonder is the idea here that every member of the species is force sensitive, because every member of the species that we've seen in in the movies and in the show so far, which is, well, right. three arguably, there was a. There was another one in episode one or two or something. You mean Yaddle? Apparently. <clears throat> anyway, Yaddle. but she, th- she was on the council, right? Yeah. So every member of the species we've seen so far has been force sensitive. True. I have a feeling that I have a f- well, my own theory is that this species has a very small population just because of the gestational period. Yeah. And so it's possible that they are all force sensitive and they're all very powerful, but because of how long it takes for them to grow, that there's very few of them in the universe. And right. that's why this one, that's why any of them are considered very special. Maybe there's a familial connection with Yoda, uh, where similar to these apparent Skywalker slash Palpatine familial connection, where if you're a Skywalker or a Palpatine, you're, you're a force sensitive. Yeah. You're a force sensitive. Yeah. Who so, knows? so maybe um, there's a, maybe he's like uh, Yoda's, uh, what? Grandson, grandnephew, or, 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 so, or son? Yeah, who knows? Uh, um, yeah. Um, also, remember the uh, medical droids? Like we have a, a a nanny droid now, right? Or that's what he called himself. Well, um, they reprogrammed, right? Yeah, but in some of the movies, there have been medical droids, and yes. So would not a medical droid? So so we're assuming like uh, we've assumed that maybe C three PO. You know, maybe he had some programming from bygone eras. Would not a medical droid know something about this baby uh, because of how long of a history the droids have in the Republic? And I mean, Master Yoda. It's so hard. To s- it's so hard to say because at this the point. because the armorer said like, "Oh, you have to return him to his species because he's going to die otherwise. Like he won't, you know, he'll be malnourished or he won't have the medical or you know, he won't have the upbringing he needs." And wouldn't maybe he like some droid uh, in the uh, home world of i don't know what home world has still not been blown up at this point but maybe maybe that's something that he can that they'll incorporate into the future uh, season well he's got to get him back i think the idea was he, uh the mandalorian has to get that the child back to his people or to some jedi so they can teach him how to use this his sorcerer abilities yeah uh, otherwise he might kill himself with them because you know the, the child oh, had, had yeah. used his had used the force several times but each time basically wiped him out yeah, and so if he, if he kept going like that, he'd probably kill himself. So right. in order to protect him, we got to return him to force users. Right. Yeah, that's that's uh, that makes sense. 
I really... I guess we don't have to go in chronological order. We're kind of bouncing around a little bit. But I... One of the things I really give this show credit for is being willing to do what Game of Thrones has done, which is take characters that people really care about and being willing to let them die. If you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to pretend that a character, if you're going to show a character being dead, letting them actually die, having actual stakes in the show means a lot. Oh, that you mean as opposed to, uh, what happened in the recent in movie? The recent that we movie yeah. <laughs> I mean the fact that the fact that you have Quill who has become, you know, such a meme with I've spoken and, and such not and was and was a character that people really enjoyed and was a character that that helped develop the Mandalorian. He was great. Yeah. And the fact that he's dead. He is dead. And it was a very unceremonious death. It was not this long, drawn-out sort of, oh, we've got to give him his death scene. It's just like, nope, he's just dead. I, I agree. I, I was I was definitely saddened at that moment. Yes. But I wasn't... To to give credit... Also to agree with, so to agree, agree with what you're saying, but, but also to... Um, as a counterpoint, I wasn't shocked by it. I guess maybe that's the... Maybe that is the, the uh, Game of Thrones effect because... When they, uh, spoiler uh, warning, when they kill Ned, uh, that was shocking. Yeah. But I think we've sort of, maybe we've become uh, accustomed to that, or maybe it's just that we didn't have uh, quite enough time with this character. But well, I was saddened, but not shocked at, th- at that development. Well, it's just the way they presented the character. I mean, imagine if they had killed Baby Yoda. That would have been that, shocking. Yeah. That would have been shocking, to yeah. say the least, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the potential was there, uh, but the the character of Quill was never at such a, 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 a presented in such a way that his death in that in that way would have been that level of shock. No, but I think that for a show like Star Wars, it would have been so easy to have it be a oh no, he's getting up and he's right. fine. He's just his harm is hurt or something, and the fact that they didn't do that. That it wasn't no, he's actually dead. I thought was still somewhat brave. Yes, no, I agree because I I was um, I, I guess it, I'm going to disagree with myself actually. <laughs> uh, I wasn't shocked, but but at the same time, uh, I was during this episode. I was expecting that I was kind of looking forward to the next season and anticipating that oh, the next season's going to have. Uh, uh, it's going to have Cara Dune and it's going to have Mando and it's going to have the baby and it's going to have IG-11. IG-11 is going to be yeah. there. And yeah. that's something that I also wasn't shocked, but I was expecting, even though I was also simultaneously expecting him to carry it in the next season. Well, this is something that I started talking about in part one of this extravaganza. With the uh, with with, the droid. with droids in Star Wars, yeah, and the uh, creating a uh, creating a, a a droid scenario where you sympathize with the droid, yeah. Rogue One, Solo, um, and now the Mandalorian have droids that you you know learn to you know you know really like, and then you know something happens to them, and you and it's a it's a poignant scene, and you get you get a little bit emotional about it, um. 
and it, just just to briefly tie into part one, uh, again, missed opportunity with episode nine of the movies. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to kill off R2-D2 or C-3PO. That would have been almost blasphemous, I guess. But the, the memory wipe thing just didn't have, like, I didn't really care. But would it have been? I mean, if, if C-3PO had died... I think that would have that would have yeah. given such weight. Yeah, it would have. Be, but I think the reason, like I said, I think the reason it didn't, though, you if if they hadn't hinted at and then gone through with reform it, re restoring his memory. Yeah, I think you would have retconned your, so to speak. Like, I think you would have gone back, and then it would have been an emotional moment for you. Yeah, like it wasn't in advance, but because the full impact hadn't really played out. Well, in the case of episode nine, the whole R two D two and C three PO just didn't really play a role. No, and it felt like the role that they did play in episode nine, specifically C three PO, was just unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And then in the Mandalorian, you have IG eleven, and first of all, just the way that they animated IG eleven. I mean, that was really awesome. Yes, it looked like he should have looked. The way it moved in a jerky fashion. Yeah, no, it looked really cool. Very awesome. Uh, but then you're like wondering, well, did Quill program him correctly? Is he really a nurse right now? Yeah. Or is he going to turn? Uh, yeah. I like so that. Episode seven did leave that uh, ambiguous a little bit. Uh. And I love so much the the moment between IG-11 and Din Djarin. Oh, yeah. We know his name now. Which is now, we know his name. But how uh, IG-11, I think, inherently understands to some extent the code that of the, Man- the Mandalorians of the Mandalorians and so he's basically saying leave I will take care of him because I'm not this 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 self-recognition and self-sacrifice and kind of self selflessness that the droid has now this idea that I'm not I'm not a living thing so don't worry you're not breaking your code and how he take when he takes the the helmet off of of Din Djarin uh, Pedro Pascal's acting, like that's that is that is his moment in this entire season, uh, and and not to say that he doesn't do anything. He does a tremendous amount of acting without you seeing his face, his voice work, just his body motion, everything else. He does a tremendous job. But in this one moment, this is like his moment to really utilize kind of what everyone considers the tool of the actor, which is your face to act in that moment and it's so crazy how up until this moment the mandalorian has been this very confident kind of very like real just incredible character and then that one moment he's so vulnerable like just that expression on his face and how he's got all the scarring and everything i could not have asked for a better moment of acting from pedro pascal that was so awesome well, I'm just glad we got to see his face. I mean, I predicted we'd see his face somewhere by the end. Yeah. Uh, I didn't anticipate, well, oh, of course, you know, it's just it's just a droid seeing his face, so it doesn't yeah. count. Right. Yeah, so yeah. That, that was that was good. So, yeah, I think I asked that question back in probably our first episode that we talked about The Mandalorian, if we would see uh, The Mandalorian's face during the season. Yeah. And I, I think we... I have to go back and listen. I think we all made predictions, but yeah, um, I I thought I I I said it would be cool if they didn't show his face, but I yeah. have to say, this was cool. Yeah. But not only do we see his face, we also know his name now. Right. So. I, 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 and I'm fine. I'm I'm probably not quite as uh, 
enthusiastic about it as as you, uh, Joash. Um, I could have gone either way with seeing his face or not. Like I would I wouldn't have cared if. Uh, actually, it's not even seeing his face; it's taking the helmet off. Is yeah. What it is. And I could have gone either way with that. Uh, I mean, they they integrated it into the plot. It was it was a. I guess it was. It, it wasn't an integral. It wasn't something that had to happen in the plot because uh, he could have not been injured in that way, and he could have. Um, True, but I think but I I think that that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say I, uh, for me, uh, the acting has been. It didn't depend on that for it to be great acting, and I don't know if it's the kind of acting that will get any kind of award nominations at all somehow i sort of doubt it but but i think it's been really good acting like with like you said with the voice and the just the body language actually there's a couple of uh actors that play uh inside the suit uh i think all the dialogues done by pedro pascal it's all dubbed or whatever yeah um but there's actually at least two actors that have been in a suit uh um i'm sure some stunt some stuntmen yeah there's yeah. like a but there's like a secondary like if he can't be like because because of the nature of the character like they were really flexible with like you know oh you can't make it like you had another movie you're working on okay <laughs> you know like uh but but he does have to do some you know some of the body language is, is has to be just the same guy but um but yeah that was that was cool my um i was wondering uh when you're trying to escape uh, when you're pinned down by uh, what is it called an e-web yeah and you want to escape uh, a cantina or whatever that place was uh, um, how do you you escape you just have to uh, stick your nose in the air and and sniff for the sewer (laughs) yeah that's 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 a good point Um, who built a place that doesn't have a back door it was kind of like it was a lot it was it reminded me a lot of the uh, Death Star uh, uh, scene oh when gosh. they have to shoot the sewer grate. <laughs> like, but why doesn't anybody's blaster work on the one blaster shot leaves a big old hole in the sewer on the Death Star, and and like what is it in the Star Wars universe with uh, with just open access to sewers being like in the middle of a hallway or like a we'll cantina? Just put this or behind something. the seat, yeah, of like, the cantina. Yeah, like why does why does nobody like to sit in this corner of the restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> Do you smell something funny? Nah, <laughs> this place just stinks. Well, this drink's got some real funk to it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, it, why couldn't it have just been like, oh, it, wouldn't it make more sense if it was like a manhole cover or something, like in the ground? Like, Not really, because, again, a sewer access in the middle of a cantina. Well, I mean, I mean but sometimes there's like, I don't know, just some places have big floor drains it's or a something grease or, trap like, that leads this to wasn't the even sewer. in the f- this was in the wall not yeah. even on the floor you know they like, <laughs> had no purpose like why didn't they just like go oh there's a my my scanner shows like a, a sewer conduit running below here and then she has oh i have to set my electrical my blast charge she had a black that thermal grenade or whatever yeah. she had like no they were out of grenades at that point she had to oh. shoot it with her gun and it wasn't enough i it thought was, it, was thought I, she... it was ig11 who used his like arc torch or whatever yeah to... but i thought she had taken a gr- thermal grenade out of his ship with them like no hit, no they were hit. out of munitions at that point yeah she, she just had that rifle uh, huh. and it wasn't powerful enough i'll tell you what though man do not go to that cantina if there's a flash flood oh. because the moment the sewer starts to <laughs> flood in whoo, <laughs> It smells horrible in there. Ugh. That's a, actually that's, I'm 
I hadn't actually thought of that before, but literally the only purpose of that grate would be to vent gases from the sewer <laughs> into the cantina. <laughs> right. So, um, so they escape into the uh, sewer, and of course, I mean, with the anticipating uh, trying to reunite with the uh, other Mandalorians. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's not possible. And that's the scene you're talking about, Jamie. I think. No, I was talking about the very end of the episode. Oh, gotcha. I was going to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. But anyway, that 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 scene hit me kind of hard too, where it's just like, oh, what happened? Like, did the Imperials find them and kill them all yeah. and just pile was a, their armor? And that was a bigger pile of armor than I was expecting. Based on, I didn't know that. I, I guess I don't remember how many uh, Mandalorians were helping him escape. No, earlier it's, a, on, it's, but it's about the same number that helped him escape in chapter. What was it? Three. Three or four. For some reason, four. I was thinking there was like maybe five or six at the most. There was there was over a dozen. Yeah, there was at least a there was at least a dozen. Oh, okay. And then, for you know, t- the sake of you know taste or whatever, obviously none of those helmets were tiny helmets. Right. From the foundlings, so that's yeah. good. Um, so the armor. Those were all on the bottom of the pile <laughs> that you didn't see. No, she had already melted those down before right. they got there. <laughs> These will be the quickest to melt down. There's uh, very little metal there. So somehow uh, the armorer has reclaimed uh, armor from fallen Mandalorians and escaped detection herself, even though there's like this blast furnace uh, that apparently, you know, just... Well, they kind of make a big point of how the sewers are this huge maze of I think things, so. th- they're not explicit about it, but I think for I don't know why the, the Mandalorian, D- Din, can come and go as seemingly as he pleases, but... I think the the idea of this uh, what what do they call it um, whatever covert covert or no it's covert covert yeah covert. yeah uh, the, the, the it's like a, it means like hidden or whatever yeah right I, I think the the idea was no more than just one or two of them could go out at a time right? yeah I don't know why the Mandalorian can just seem to come and go as he wants but well, he's a bounty hunter so he probably makes a lot of money for the covert sure or, or yeah maybe I mean who knows maybe. Uh, I guess you'd have to be able to be recognized if this was to be the case. But maybe people just know who he is, and like he's. But somehow this Mandalorian conclave, whatever, established itself on Novara, and this is before there were any Imperial soldiers there. Yeah. yeah. And then just due to the events of of the series, there was more of an Imperial presence, and eventually they they got discovered. So but ho- hopefully, some well, of them I got wonder, away. I wonder though. I, I think they. I think the idea is that they all got away. My question is: Are they all not Mandalorian now? Because they willingly removed. Oh. No, I'm, I, I I took it to mean all the all the all the Mandalorians. Soldiers, yeah, yeah I, those were dead Mandalorians. That's oh. what I thought. But too. some of them might have gotten away wearing their armor. wearing their armor. Right. right, right. That makes sense because of the battle that they had. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so. So Mando, uh, essentially, Mando levels up. Yeah, he gets his signet. He gets yeah. his. Uh, what do they call the jetpack? The um, oh, I can't. I don't know what they called it. Did Fire call No. Ju- uh, did they give it a name? Well, they gave it a name like they gave that weapon that the armorer gave to him earlier on. The whistling something like that. The jetpack had a fancy name, but that I and apparently he can. Apparently, it's got it's like connected to Alexa, so he can like use his voice to. Well, remember he didn't issue any command when he fired the whispering darts Mes- missiles or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he just it just did it. So, but she said it won't it won't respond respond to, to your call until you've practiced with it. Something like that. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was I, that particular moment though. 
I, I like I like the moment with the with the armorers. The, those moments have almost kind of a Greek mythology. Well, she's like feel to them. She's like the wisest of all Mandalorians, at least on Navarra. Yeah, and probably like beyond. Um, also, she can you know kick butt with. Her. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that seeing her like actually crack uh, stormtrooper armor with her. Forge with, with her forge tools was yeah, so it awesome. It looked like it just like one of the one of the impacts like it just like shattered like uh, yeah yeah. I was afraid that you know she was just going to go down fighting and they'd eventually overwhelm her. Right. But then it was like, oh, there's just these four or five or whatever. Oh, she can take them. Out. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so the um, fact that I mean, one of them melted like instantly. I don't right. know how hot that forge is, yeah, but because, man, that thing is hot. <laughs> I was wondering where he went because like uh, when she's she, you could see her set things down in there. So there's right. a surface. Yeah. And when he was thrown in there, he just like sort of disappeared. Like, no, yeah, he's he, he's totally melted. Yeah, uh, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever Mandalorian you ar- armor you have now has a bit of stormtrooper mixed into with it. it it's, it's Beskar with just a little hint of stormtrooper. Exactly. <laughs> so this may not be uh, totally accurate, but according to Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia uh, just calls it a jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was a, the armorer gave it a fancy name. Maybe she likes to give fancy names to things. Um, I thought it was awesome though that that his signet was the mudhorn. Yeah, yeah, I don't quite get how signets work. I mean, why didn't he? It, I think it's supposed to be maybe a, like a like a large or a particular enemy that you take down. Like it's a it's I think it's supposed to be some sort of significant battle or foe that you have toppled but and previously he wouldn't accept it because he thought of the child as his enemy but now that he has adopted the child as a foundling and they are a clan of two she gives him the signet of the mudhorn because he was not helped by an enemy he was helped by another mandalorian which is a foundling that he cares for i kind of that's kind of how i yeah, I guess. See it. I still think it's odd that she was able just to craft that mudhorn um, signet just while she was talking. I mean, obviously, she had it prepared in advance. She knows what she's doing. Because she's pretty smart. Yeah. So I, I really want to see more of her. And I, I believe she, uh, the actress that played her was Emily Emily Swallow, was it? I have a feeling she's going to be in season two at some point. She kind of seems to me to be like... At some point, once the Mandalorian either needs help on his quest or has completed his quest, she's the one that kind of like yeah. She's it seems like uh, she's the she, quest giver, right? She plays. I was gonna say she plays the exact role of that uh, character in a video game that uh, that you go back to to level up and uh, gain new uh, skills and right. Uh, Navarro was his quest hub, and when he completed his quest, he would go back and get another one there. And and she's finally uh, that's the other thing about the armor is uh, apparently uh, so this was something that came over from uh, the movie also is uh, she's the first one in the show other than Aquil has referenced like knowing the something Force. about it yeah but she knows of the Jedi and she's the first one so what is going on exactly in the galaxy uh, the unnamed galaxy just the galaxy <laughs> because okay. I, I don't want to get too uh, too much of a criticism, but just more of sort of a, a commentary. Uh, in the movie, uh, in the uh, 
the Rise of Skywalker, it's mentioned that there's 16 hours to like discover the uh, what's the planet called? Uh, Exegol. Exegol. Uh, right, Exegol. And they have to like solve this whole quest in 16 hours. And that involves like multiple stops on multiple planets, which presumably aren't all just like conveniently in the same part of the galaxy. So is the galaxy super big and super spread out, or is it super close together? Or, you know, uh, and if it's super big and super spread out, that sort of explains why maybe not everyone has heard of the Jedi or seen the Jedi. And, you know, it might be more of like a legend or a myth. But if it's like, you can just like, you know, jet over, you know, hyper drive over to this planet and hyper drive over to that planet and then go say, you know, then go fight the Palpatine, uh, uh, you know, and have plenty of time in between for uh, hunting, uh, going through the quicksand and uh, and finding your droid uh, hacker. And uh, then then that that implies that the galaxy's not that big of a place. It's as big as it needs to be. I mean, right. they'll, they'll but, always yeah. invent new but planets. Then, but, then, I, but then in the Mandalorian, if it's not that big of a place, how is it that nobody knows what a Jedi is or, or re- recognizes the Force being used? Uh, so I have thoughts on that, but I'll say this. I feel like any explanation that's given is too long and has too many steps for it to be a satisfactory answer. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an answer. Yeah, it's just it's just a funny little quirk. It's not ruining yeah. it's not ruining my enjoyment of the show. Well, sure. I, think, I think suffice it to say is the uh em- the emperor issued order 66 in, in some at some point in the past from the Mandalorian and that was effective as to a, you know to a degree to which large portions of the galaxy just forgot that Jedi's existed. It's it is it is just a, a it is just worth noting. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a tickle in the back of my mind. Somebody in this show should have heard of or know who Luke Skywalker is or or yeah, Leia. I mean, so <laughs> it's like if you consider that a galaxy is a series of planets and each planet has five or six billion people on it. And these planets are light years away. And a lot of these planets, based on what we've seen, don't necessarily have ready access to any sort of spacecraft. Right, maybe that there's has, that has hyperspace cap- capabilities to it. Yeah, that there are large numbers of populations that hear about things by word of mouth. Right, maybe, maybe we're dealing with a galaxy where one percent of the population is learned and knows of the news and what's going on in other places. In other places, and and we are the ones. That see that one percent because that's the one percent that the movies are about, and then ninety nine percent. But but yeah. but nonetheless, right. again, I will say that particular explanation I don't think is 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 addressed enough for it to be something that just seems like oh yeah that makes sense. I mean, it's still hard to believe that five years after Return of the Jedi that you have people that don't know anything about the force or Jedi or anything like that. And even so, like the 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 wars that the uh that the armorer is talking about that happened between the Jedi and the Mandalorian, those happened oh, yeah. those happened thousands, thousands of, of years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Uh and and are nothing like what happened recently. 
right. and the fact that there's so much recently that happened within Mandalorian lore that is not established, but yet is all of a sudden brought up at the very end of the episode. Right. So anyway, that was that was uh, pretty much uh, a great sort of sequence with the armor in my estimation the armorer sort of taking out the stormtroopers and kicking ass and yeah i mean it also bodes well that we'll see more of her later uh i mean unless there was another wave of stormtroopers coming down later on then she presumably survived after she cleaned up the mandalorian mess and salvaged what she could it was kind of funny uh, when they got into the lava river, seeing the uh, the little gondola boat was piloted like it, the the, uh, the like a modified R two unit was sort of like the riverboat pilot, like he was pushing the boat down the. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird looking R two because this this one's got arms and legs. Oh, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> well, it had to have arms and legs because how could it steer the boat <laughs> otherwise? Right. Yeah, that was funny. But nobody thought, oh, maybe we should give R2-D2 some arms and legs or something. Nah, he doesn't eat them. He'll, he'll just beep, and that's it. So uh, I guess the uh, last major plot point in the episode is they do eventually escape from the uh, the Lava River. We already, I think we mentioned uh, IG-11's sort of sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, um, when we first saw IG-11 and whatever the chapter two or whatever it was when they were going after the child at the same time, he kept wanting to self-destruct. Yeah. That's funny. It's basically built into his manufacturing yeah. specs, like to self-destruct. It's you know, better safe than sorry. Like no, self-destruct. He, he, you know, he, he, he had to self-destruct rather than risk being captured. Right. Right. It's not like it's, it's not a last resort. It's like a, it's more of like a, if there's any chance that uh, things could go wrong here, uh, better self-destruct. <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't like it was like he was like critically injured or wounded. It was just like you know in the first you said in that chapter two or whatever, uh, or chapter one, uh, he was like you know had only been maybe shot once or twice, and and we come to find out he can be shot a lot of times uh, and still still put up a fight. <laughs> right. Um. But then all this. But then when he chooses to self destruct to save everybody else, now it's it's a poignant moment. It's a sacrifice, and we sympathize, but oh no, no, now he's dead. Yeah, it was a good explosion. Uh, a good. I I didn't realize that he was gonna wade through the lava to get there, uh, but that I guess that makes sense because he had to get out before the boat. Uh, right, he had to blow up before they got there. Otherwise, yeah. he'd take everybody out. Um. So, uh, then the uh, final part of the episode was Moff Gideon uh, in the Tie Fighter. Uh, I guess. Uh, I mean, it was kind of impressive that uh, the armorer said Mando is going to have to train and learn how to use the jetpack, but then they, all of a sudden he just used it and it worked. Well, he <laughs> said he did some training when he was younger. Oh, um, I didn't catch that. Also, I looked it up. Uh, Rising Phoenix is what uh, the armorer oh. called the jetpack. Oh, okay, good. Um, but he, uh, in his defense, he only used it like for a quick burst to go up and then right. to save himself from falling down. So he didn't use it to... Well, right. He didn't, necessarily, he didn't necessarily look like he was... Well versed in its use, he just so use it for its basic function. Yeah, which I mean that's defensible. I'm more impressed um, after bursting up with a jetpack. He then used his uh, grapple hook thingy and didn't rip his arm off. <laughs> well, there's that, but he also hit the tie fighter like dead straight in the center, like right. perfect shot. 
It was it was pretty impressive. It, yeah. You know what I'm shocked by? I'm shocked by in episode seven and eight, the Mandalorian did not use his flamethrower. Oh yeah. In every episode leading up to that, he used it at least oh, he, once. He didn't in the uh, s- battle scene in episode seven when in the in the, when they were fighting in the cantina or whatever. No. No. For whatever yeah. reason, in episode seven and eight, he didn't use the flamethrower, but he used it in every other. He episode. used the flamethrower in episode six. Was episode was chapter six? That was the prison one. That prison was the break. prison one. Yeah. And no, he, he used his flamethrower when he was fighting the flying things that ambushed them. That oh, was did chapter he? seven. Oh, that's right. I think you're right. With grief, Karga oh, and the other bounty I hunters. Forgot about that. You're right. Okay, so it was only episode eight then that he didn't use right. it. Well, it was well, depleted by that point. I think. It's too bad. It's too bad he didn't. Uh, well, the, the armorer was restocking their unit, but it's too bad. Uh, it's too bad he didn't just flame it for just a second to try to break into the cockpit of the. The, uh, oh yeah, of the know, tie like fighter. Just, just yeah, why not? Just give it a try. <laughs> Did anyone else get a very, very uh, strong river sticks feel from the lava boat? Uh, I don't. I'm not, like not it, sure it what the. I don't know what that the is. river so of the river, dead in Greek mythology. River of the oh. dead in Greek mythology, and the fact that that R two unit had a very cairn like feel to it, which is the 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 ferry driver. Huh. Because it, it just felt yeah, like the, I, I they was were joking. crossing over <laughs> into the dead, but yeah. I was kind of laughing about the R2 unit uh, having legs and, and being a, a, it looked like, you know, like a gondola, like captain uh, or gondola pilot. Like, yeah. It's, it was just funny. Like, I was like, oh, it's going to be like the droid that drives the little hover cart, you know, but, but no, it's like a droid <laughs> that stands up and, and where's the little like in, in Sicily or in, uh, where's uh, the hat Venice. And, yeah, Venice, Venice. Yeah. Where's the little thing with the funny, the little neck uh, thing around yeah. the necktie and the neck, striped, neckerchief, the striped the shirt and the, and, right. And, and takes couples, you know, yeah. punting down the river. Why didn't, did he, does he sing a, a romantic song also? <laughs> like, uh. It just felt very like because he was seen as being dead. Yeah, and then he just kind of rises. I don't know. It just kind of. I guess that felt very kind of like they're crossing into the river of the dead or something like that. I guess one of the things you can learn from that is the durability of R two units. Because no kidding, uh, those things are made well. Because even especially in Rise of, I mean, uh, Force Awakens, when they go, oh, that droid's been sitting there in low power mode for thirty years or whatever. uh, Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, BB eight rolls by and he perks right up and turns himself on and, but. So I'd like uh, my astro- I'd like my astromech to have the uh, jetpack leg, yeah, option that he used in it. he used in uh, episode uh, two. three. Oh, or, is it two? Yeah, two. Oh. yeah. Imagine how quickly the Star Wars saga could have been resolved if they had just given R two D two both the jetpack and arms and legs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he could he could just single handedly just handled everything. Yeah. Then you could toss him the lightsaber. So. Um, yeah, he could have pulled a uh, General Grievous and just wielded yep. like two of them at once. Anyway, so I wasn't uh, familiar with the. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely took note of after the Tie Fighter crashed. Uh, I just thought, oh, the Jawas are scavenging for parts, and uh, personally, I just say right now, personally, I was not really a big fan of the decision that Moff Gideon's going to maintain be continue on in this season two uh i thought maybe they'll find some new challenges or a new villain but i guess you carry him over well he's um, he's not much of a villain in this one he's only in two episodes he's right. too but he's too big a name but um, you're not going to cast him for two episodes i feel like yeah that's oh that's tr- that makes that's true uh but uh i did not i was not familiar with the i, I noticed he was cutting him say Stuff out with like a lightsaber style device. So that's the dark saber, and this yeah. is what I was. I wasn't to, familiar with. That's that. what I was talking about earlier, uh, although I've already forgotten what I was talking about. But 
this ties into Mandalorian history. And, well, and, and especially into Clone Wars and the Rebel and, and Rebels, the two cartoon series. This also ties into some of the other conversations we were having because thousands of years prior to the events of the Mandalorian, there was a Jedi Mandalorian. Uh, and I don't know the history too much, but I don't know whether this Jedi created or somehow discovered the dark saber. It's just a black lightsaber, but it has a uh, a, a, blade a, like a sword, a sword blade rather than a cylindrical blade. Do you want me to go into it a little bit? Yeah, not a little too bit. much. So a little bit. So yep. thousands of years <laughs> yeah. ago, the Mandalorian and the Jedi fought each other, and then in a moment of 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 peace, a Mandalorian actually became a Jedi. When he created his lightsaber, he created the dark saber. When he died, the Jedi kept that dark saber in their Jedi temple. And later on, the Mandalorian broke in and stole the dark saber. And that dark and that dark saber. Later on, some Mandalorian. A Mandalorian. No, just the Mandalorians. Oh, oh, oh Mandalorians. Oh, you said, yeah, you yes. said, okay. I'm sorry. You didn't get the the Mandalor- right. The Mandalorians. Someone, yeah. Uh, broke into the Jedi temple and reclaimed that dark saber, and that became a symbol of whoever the Mandalorian was. Because the Mandalorian is considered the leader. Well, don't they call the leader oh, the Mandalore? Right. Yes. Right. Well, the leader, was his name was Mandalore. Right. That's the title for the leader of the Mandalorians. Yes. So whoever w- whoever was the leader would have would that. have the dark saber. That was oh. the and it was passed on from generation to generation. So it's 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 kind of like Excalibur in a sense where that that is a symbol of power. So are we too into it that uh, Moff Gideon just somehow stole or acquired this yes. or that yes. he is a he is, was, has a or that he has a Mandalorian background of some n- kind no we're to i think we're to uh we're to deduce that he stole it because he was an ISB officer which is an imperial security, security bureau yeah. bureau so he was someone who was in charge of seeking out spies and of conquering okay. worlds and things of that nature and he was specifically someone who was in charge of the parsec that included Mandalore, which is the planet, and right. included the Great Purge. Would they have been tasked, the ISB, with destroying any other remaining traces of Jedi yes. in the universe? Yes. So it's possible that Moff Gideon came by the Darksaber uh, in, in an effort to either continue wiping, trying to wipe out the Mandalorians, but also perhaps overlapping with the effort to just wipe out all traces of Jedi. It could be a confluence of the two efforts. It could be the last that we had seen of the of the dark saber in Jedi lore was in Rebels, and it was in charge, and it was it was it was handed to someone who is the head of the Mandalorians during the Clone Wars. Now I haven't seen all of that, like I said earlier, but is that show about to get to? The Mandalorian Civil War, or did it already do that? In 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 season seven, it's going to include the Purge, which is what they've referenced in this particular. Which show. has already happened in the Mandalorian. Series. Correct. Yeah. So somewhere in that chaos, the dark saber's uh, owner will change hands. Yes. Okay. So one more Moff Gideon uh, tangent. Then uh, the last shot. I think of, I think it was the last shot or last sort of sequence. Uh, it was like, so almost a silhouette, and he looked very, uh, very 
Darth Vadery, yeah. uh, uh, sort of not necessarily Darth Vadery, but uh, Jedi or or uh, Anakin Skywalker ish. You know, sort of just a silhouette that he cut. Are we are we certain that he doesn't have any uh, Force powers or sensibilities? I kind of thought that his that, that Moff Gideon's chest plate kind of looked Mandalorian in a way. There is there are theories that he might be an Inquisitor. So Inquisitors, Jedi hunters, are Jedi hunters that were trained by Darth Vader, who are Force sensitive, and were trained in using the Force, and had armor that was similar to that. Uh, there's a video game that was recently put out by EA called the uh, Jedi: The Fallen Order. Yeah, that had a, that had I Inquisitors that. that had Inquisitors in it. He he may be something along those lines because he seemed fairly confident in the use of the dark saber. And I agree with you that his silhouette kind of in kind of imbued someone. Nonetheless, I, I enjoy him as being the big baddie. I think, I think, uh, the actor was named Gian, Gian, Giancarlo Esposito. Giancarlo Esposito. I think he does a tremendous job of being that bad guy that, pretends to be your friend or otherwise he, known he, as Gus Fring. He plays yes. a really great smart bad guy. Yeah. Like all the bad guys he plays are like they, they, they have a handle on the situation. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, he makes just one tiny little mistake. Kind of he, like a kind of like a gentleman bad guy. Yeah. Where it's very much kind of like, you know, I I I believe in I believe trying to do in, bad in the least bad way possible. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, that being said, I mean earlier in, in chapter eight, he d- he made the mistake of basically giving the the giving them till nightfall. Time, yeah, like why? Yeah, but I think <laughs> I think that well because he didn't want to. I think he wanted to allow them to make a, a concession rather than force an ultimatum because he didn't really didn't. He didn't at that time. He didn't want to kill them. He doesn't. Not only does he not want to kill them, but he doesn't want to waste them killing any of his soldiers. Because regardless of where he may be, at this point, stormtroopers are a finite resource. It's not like it was in the past where you could just call on worlds to... Also, he hadn't, met his, <coughs> he hadn't yet met his objective. The child wasn't in his possession. That's true. So right. he, uh, being the smart bad guy, he didn't want to dispose of any resources prematurely, probably. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Also, the fact that he was after the child, a Force-sensitive being... Ties into what you were saying before, Jesse, about maybe this guy is force sensitive. Yeah, and the fact that he's saying like this is the most important thing to me. You have no idea how much this means to me. Right. Interesting. <clears throat> Anywho, so that sort of uh, just kind of dovetails into hopefully great storylines and plot lines for next season. What's crazy to me is that. Uh, uh, John Favreau recently tweeted that the next season is coming out fall of next year. Yeah, that's great. Which is awesome. I mean, they've already it's already in production. It's like halfway through production right now. Um, Hopefully, the thing that I wanted to say, yeah, about John Favreau developing this technology, he's been working on this technology to allow for uh, the ability to create uh, to create backgrounds and scenes in a very quick turnaround that have a tremendous amount of production value to it. Would it surprise any of you if I told you that every single shot of the Mandalorian was done on a soundstage? Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, uh, but it does impress me. It is. Yeah, because I would would have... 
Yeah. You would think that some of it would the, be done on location. Right. The outdoor, some of the outdoor shots and things. Every single one was done on a soundstage. Wow. He has developed technology, including using LCD screens to portray a background. So, like, for instance, if you look at the scenes where the Mandalorian is in his cockpit and he's flying his spaceship, yeah. you notice that there there's a reflection on his uh, on his helmet that shows stars and things of that nature. Yeah. Usually that's something that would be done in post-production. But in this case, it's not. Yeah, so the whole it, it allows for a real tremendous turnaround time on some of these special effects shots. Yeah, the, the whole series, the special effects have a very um, <clears throat> realistic quality to them. That They don't really look like special effects. The only exceptions are a couple of, like, IG-11 was piloting one of those speeders. That looked a bit CG, but yeah. other than that, everything looked like it was real. Yeah, and so what's, am what's amazing to me is the fact that you have someone who has developed a technology. He's, he's, he's a bit Cameron-esque in, in, in that aspect, where he's developed a technology that allows for the forward moving of, of television, and even movie, but more, I think, television productions, to allow a quicker turnaround time in something which is like which is scene making background scenes and stuff like that, which would usually take weeks on end, which in this case can take days and allows for a quicker turnaround, a, sh a smaller budget. So it gives you the ability to assign your money towards other things like practical effects and things of that nature. And I think that that in and of itself is one reason why I think Disney might really latch on to him because that technology and used for like, I could see, I could see a case where Disney starts to do TV shows that are eight to ten episodes long. I think they could do a. I could. Th I think they could do a full hour of eight to ten episodes, and then every two years have a movie that is a culmination of a two season arc. Hmm. Oh, you mean like someday we'll have a Mandalorian movie? I don't know if it would be the Mandalorian, but something along those lines. Like mm. like the new the new Star Wars movie isn't a contained trilogy, but the movie itself is kind of an endgame-esque ending of an overall arc of a TV series over two years. And that would that would create like a real event-based movie where you have a very popular TV series that's, you know, over two seasons has created this overarching story that has a two-hour finale episode that isn't TV-based but is movie-based. Well, I will agree that uh, I, I feel like the... I mean, I, I'm not an insider by any means, so I don't know if this for sure, but the economics of movie-making, <clears throat> what, we, what we just recently saw concluding with Marvel Ave Avengers Endgame, I don't think it'll ever happen again. In fact, I think it's going to get worse. I don't think we'll have any more Star Wars trilogies or anything like that because I don't think actors, by and large, want to commit to such a long-term uh, job. I think they'd rather have smaller gigs, as it were. Yeah. And so, and so instead of having these massive trilogies, it's easier to do these shows, like an eight-episode arc of shows like The Mandalorian. I don't know how many episodes the Kenobi series will be, but I'm guessing it'll be similar. And see where that goes. <clears throat> and if it goes to a good place, maybe then concluding it with a theatrical production. Yeah. Or not. Or just... Or just concluding it there. But I don't know. I just... I I really... 
if Disney can offer Favreau, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> if G- if Disney can offer John a good enough deal that he's he's given the creative freedom that he does that he deserves, um, and is able to oversee the production, I really have some hope that what we're what we're coming up that what we're going to be coming up with as far as Star Wars is going to be good. Because I think John has shown that he has a good eye when it comes to picking and getting the people to be able to uh, to direct the shows are. Deborah Chow, I think, did some of the best episodes of The Mandalorian. She's going to be doing, as far as I know, she's going to be doing all of um, Kenobi. So, yeah. Okay. Well, um... <clears throat> we're done yeah i think uh i think that wraps up our uh, our thoughts on the mandalorian anyway yeah that's that's enough for star wars talk um here's looking forward to the future yeah of star wars i think i think after everything that has happened i am relieved i i, I liked i liked episode nine I'm relieved that that trilogy is over and I am so happy with what's happening with the Mandalorian that there we have a new hope. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll be re- more relieved if what we see in the Mandalorian in terms of the people involved in the Mandalorian are given a chance to you know continue that. Kind of spread their wings a little bit. In other words, I'd like to see some changes behind the scenes in the management of Star Wars. Sure. Only then will I feel a little bit more confident. But I, yeah. I like what's happening now. I'm looking forward to the Kenobi series, which is there a release date for that? I don't think it's official yet, but probably next year. Yeah, probably, probably. sometime. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that'll be the next major Star Wars thing. And um, until then, may the force be with you always. <laughs>